This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Good morning, everybody. We are, we're going to get started, so if you want to find your seat. All right, well, welcome to Emmaus, everybody here, everybody online. Um, I, I realized last week I did not introduce myself, so for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Tim, uh, and I'm, I'm just happy to be able to be up here and, and leading us. So if you were with us last week, we started a new series uh, called The True Story, and the, the premise is that we all believe in a story. We all have a narrative or a lens or something that explains how we see the world and how we interpret events and the things around us. And it's not hard to find all different types of stories all over the place, uh, whether that's in the news or in published books. But as Christians, we want to be shaped by God's story, right? We want what God is doing what, who he is, what he has done to actually form and inform who we are and what we do as a result of that. And so that's why we're going through the true story last week and this week. We're, we've broken up uh, what God has written in his Bible that, that tells what he is doing. We've, we've broken that up into six acts. And last week we went through the first three, and this week we'll go through the last three. And so... This is, again, going to be different than a normal week. <laughs> We're gonna, I'm going to mostly read a narrative. Um, this is something that, that Ben wrote, and Aaron helped, and Cole helped, and I read a little bit and helped. And so I'm going to be reading uh, this, and there will be questions. And so as I'm reading, I just you know, invite you to follow along. Um, listen to what's being read. Try to stay in the story with what we're reading this morning. Uh, if, if something comes up and you've got a question, feel free to write that down, um, and we can talk about that later if it seems like, where did that come from? We'd love to like, keep improving on this and make sure it is, it is clear and coherent. Uh, and then also, as we do discussion uh, and questions, I just invite you to, to don't jump ahead, <laughs> right? So we, we went through the first three acts. Anything that already happened, you can, you can bring that up. You can tie that together with what I'm reading. But try not to jump forward. If you know what happens in the next act, try not to bring that up because we want to just be in the story together uh, and remember what has happened so far. And then as we keep going, you can keep pulling things in from, from earlier. So... Try to, try to stay in the story. Uh, so before we jump into this week, I'm going to just recap what we talked about last week. So do you want to? Yes, thank you. Okay, so we've got these six symbols, and last week we went through the first three. So that, that very first one, the down arrow, is creation. And so in Act 1, creation, we recall that God created the world, uh, and he declared that it was very good. It was beautiful. It was balanced. It was a reflection of him. And at the top of all of creation, he placed man and woman as his partners in creation, the exclamation point on his creation to help push his mission forward to bring what is good, right, and beautiful into all the world and, and just reveal God's glory. And then in chapter 2, uh, act two, the rebellion, we find that man and woman, humanity, decided that they didn't really want what God was going to give them. Uh, they were deceived by one of God's creatures, a serpent, who told them they, they could get it all on their own if they just disobeyed God and ate the fruit from a tree that he said not to eat. And so they did that. They ate the fruit, they rejected God, and because of that, sin entered the world. Sin, death, suffering, and God cast them out from his presence. But it was not just, it was not just a curse and being cast out. There was also a promise. And so in Act 3, we hear about the promise. Uh, we hear that God says one day he will send one who will crush the serpent. One day someone... Uh, one of the children of Eve will come and will defeat the serpent and make things right. And then we learned about how, you know, all through history, 
God called a people, he called Abraham, and told his family that they would bless the world. And then later, he brought those people, the people who came from Abraham and Sarah, he brought them back into a promised land where he would dwell with them, and they would bless the nations. And he raised up a prophet and a king and all these different people, but none of them crushed the serpent. They all sinned and failed in some way. And then eventually, Israel was sent into exile And we had 400 years of silence. And that's where we ended last week. The promises, the promise of God has seemed to fail. And so let me pray, and then we will pick up the story where we left off. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be here, uh, to be people who have received your word, who you have, have told us your intentions. And so I pray as we um, continue through your story, as we we go from maybe the hopelessness of last week, uh, would your spirit just give us hope and and peace? And would you help us to be formed by your story, uh, formed for your purposes? And so we just pray for your presence today. Amen. All right, so story time continues. Here is Act 4. I'll warn you, this is the longest of the acts, but there are questions interspersed throughout. So, here we go. 400 years. The last 400 years for Israel had been marked by silence from God. In addition to the silence, Israel spent those years ruled by other nations and other kings. The Babylonians, Persians, Greeks. And at this point in the story... They are living in the shadow of the Roman Empire. It seemed that the appointed one that would come to rescue them, now called the Messiah, was nowhere to be found. After all this silence, the people became more and more divided on how God would rescue them, how God would fulfill his promises, and what that appointed Messiah would look like. The Pharisees were a group bent on perfecting the rules and the covenant God had given them. They would fix things through the covenant God made with Israel. The Sadducees, another group in Israel, worked with the kings and rulers of the day and seemed to be more focused on rescue through political means. The Sadducees had their own idea of what the rescue and the Messiah would look like. Zealots, a third group, would fight to destroy the evil rulers who they believed were aligned with the serpent. And another group, the Essenes, hid away in the mountains waiting for God to act. All this division around God's rescue and his Messiah seemed only to make matters worse, but God was still on mission. He was waiting for the right time to rescue his people and bring his appointed Messiah to crush the serpent. One night in a small insignificant town called Nazareth, the silence was finally broken. An angel from God came to a young woman named Mary. Like Eve, and Sarah before her. She would have a special appointed son. But this son would be different than all the other sons that had come before. The angel told Mary that even though she was a virgin, the Holy Spirit would create this son in her and he would be named Jesus, meaning God rescues. This special son would finally fulfill the promises made to Adam and Eve, Abraham and Sarah, Moses and David. This special son, Jesus, would finally be the king who had crushed the serpent and accomplished God's mission for his creation. Jesus was the Messiah who would finally bring all the promises to reality. He was the one who would spread the good, right, and beautiful across the world. Finally, the appointed Messiah was coming. This was amazing news and had to be announced to the world. People had to be prepared for what was going to happen. The night Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of King David, a choir of warrior angels appeared to a group of shepherds. There they were in the field as the sky peeled back and reality as they knew it changed around them. Suddenly angels were everywhere around them announcing the majesty, character, and wonder of this child, Jesus, who was born. For the shepherds in the field, it was like all of reality announced that the birth of this child was good, right, and beautiful. Sometime later, a man named John the Baptist was preaching to prepare the people of Israel for the Messiah who is now here. 
God had come to rescue his people. John was warning the people to turn from rejecting God and to trust what God was doing through his Messiah. He spoke of the Messiah as the savior king that Israel had been waiting for. Like what had happened in the past, those who turned from their sin and believed that John said about the rescue passed through the water in a ritual called baptism. One day, Jesus came to the river where John was teaching. He asked John to baptize him, even though Jesus had never rejected anything God had said. Jesus had done no sin. This astonished John, but he did baptize Jesus. And when he did, a spirit came down from heaven, and God spoke to all who were there. This is my son, in whom I am well pleased. God was preparing his people for what Jesus would do. What does the name Jesus, God rescues, tell us about God? And just feel free to shout it out. I will try to repeat back or at least paraphrase what you say so that anyone online can know what we're saying in here. <laughs> God didn't stay silent. So name, the name, even the name Jesus, God rescues, tells us of God's love for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. It also speaks of an inability of ourselves to rescue ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. God rescues. We cannot rescue ourselves. Yeah. So based on last week's story, so based on the first three acts and the details of the promises, what do you think everyone thought Jesus was coming to do? We read a little bit about that right at the start, too. What's that? Kick out the Romans. Yeah, kick, kick out the Romans. <laughs> Establish his kingdom. Mm -hmm. Establish his kingdom. Right, that he would come for Israel and Israel would be expanded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe they thought that he would like validate them, like show them how great they are as people. Yeah. Right, and you, you see that in maybe the Pharisees who thought that they could uphold the law fully, and so when the Messiah came, he was just gonna say, you've done so well, now you get to be like elevated, and, you know, right. Right, you see all these different, you have the Pharisees and their love of the law and thinking they could just write enough laws around the law to fulfill the law. You had the Sadducees who thought that you could like partner with Rome and whoever else to like build political power. The Zealots thought they could just revolutionize, overthrow the, you know, the, the chains of whoever was oppressing them. And then the Essenes were just hiding up in the mountains, just waiting for God to do something. Just, okay, we're gonna stay up here. We're not gonna interact with anyone else. And you've got all these different ideas of what the Messiah would do and different postures in waiting for him. And uh, continue. So immediately after his baptism, Jesus was taken out to battle the serpent. This battle would not take place in a beautiful garden. This battle would take place in the desert while Jesus was hungry, thirsty, and suffering. The serpent would again, like with Adam and Eve, tempt God's appointed king to reject God and his plan and listen to the serpent instead. The serpent would lie, tempt, and discredit God to his special son, Jesus. But this time, the serpent lost the battle. This time, Jesus rejected the lies of the serpent and crushed him by accepting the good, right, and beautiful character of God and his word. The serpent had lost. Jesus had won. The serpent was divested and losing his grip on the world God had created. So now Jesus would begin his mission to spread the good, right, and beautiful throughout the whole world. Jesus started by gathering 12 men around him as disciples. 
Jesus and his disciples traveled the countryside together as Jesus taught the people about his kingdom and the mission of God to restore what the serpent had broken. Jesus taught with authority that his kingdom would be made up of people who were completely different from the world around them. They would not be spreading the good, right, and beautiful by force, but through humility, meekness, and even suffering. He told the people that the rules and covenant given to Moses were good, but were aimed at changing the rebellion inside those who are made in the image and likeness of God. These were not just rules to change the behavior of one nation, Israel. These rules were designed to show them their need for God to rescue them and change what was wrong on the inside. Jesus taught them that the good, right, and beautiful started by reversing the rebellion that was deep in the heart of every person. Evil and sin came out of God's special creatures because there was evil and sin inside them that needed to be changed in order for God to accomplish his mission. That change would be so radical that Jesus called it a new birth. That change would be like a completely new creation. A lot of what Jesus said about God's mission was hard for people to hear, but he continued teaching through stories called parables. These parables would explain what living in his kingdom is like. His kingdom would be like yeast and dough, even though a small amount of the kingdom's presence can change, sorry, even a small amount of the kingdom's presence can change much. His kingdom would be like the seed of a tree, small at first, but with enough time would grow to offer shelter for many. Jesus asked when his kingdom would come. He explained that it wasn't obvious or grand, but it was already come. It came with him. It is wherever his presence goes. His kingdom was sounding more and more like God's mission, but happening in a way that no one expected. Jesus not only taught of the kingdom and the change that needs to happen inside all the creatures made in the image and likeness of God, but he also went about healing, restoring, and making right what had been broken in the creation around him. Everywhere he went, there were signs and wonders, miracles that followed. He healed the sick, made the lame walk, the blind see, the mute speak, and he even raised the dead. No, on more than one occasion, he multiplied food to feed the thousands who learned from him. When he and the disciples were caught in a storm on the Sea of Galilee, he simply spoke and the wind and waves obeyed. Jesus, in ways never before seen, was beginning to restore and cultivate the good, right, and beautiful back into the creation that was broken. God's mission was beginning to take shape everywhere Jesus went. The serpent was on the run, breaking down from his defeat, and Jesus was the king making right everything around him, fulfilling all the promises of God. This was amazing, but the serpent wasn't done fighting. And he knew that not all the people loved Jesus, in fact, very few truly did. Israel's religious leaders were not pleased with his methods or his claims to be the one to fulfill all the promises. So together they began to plan to get him out of the way. What have we learned about Jesus so far? Jesus came down to rescue us and he had to suffer as a human. And we see that in hunger and pain and even in temptation when he battles the serpent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jesus is pers personal enough to call 12 disciples, personal enough to like be in people's lives and healing them, touching them, like interacting with them, not just up on a stage somewhere. Mm -hmm. He teaches us what true power and authority looks like, and it doesn't look like what the world, it's like the opposite. Mm -hmm. His meekness and his 
serving, and yet he has all power and authority. And people state that. They're like amazed at his teaching and his authority. Right. Right. Jesus shows us humility and not power how we know power, not leadership how we know leadership in the world. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus gives us a perfect example and a perfect companion in suffering and in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'd say he's, he was bold to speak truth to people, mm-hmm. uh, but also gentle enough to, to meet people where they were and to, to heal them, to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Right. His boldness in speaking what was true is getting him on the bad side of all of these leaders. And yet his humility and his kindness is like giving him thousands of people who want to come listen to him. <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah. <laughs> here's, here's another question. Uh, think back to what happened in Act 2 and 3. How is Jesus fulfilling the promise? So 2 is rebellion. Adam and Eve are tempted uh, and then they fail, and they are cursed. And then in Act 3, we learn about the promise, how God is promising one day to restore all things and defeat the serpent. So how do we see Jesus fulfilling, or, or how do we see similarities to and fulfillment of things that we saw in those acts? Yeah, we see a very, very tangible picture of fixing what's broken in, in his healings. Mm-hmm. Also, as um, Adam and Eve were tempted and they fell to temptation, he was also tempted. <laughs> yeah. Yep, Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden when they were well-fed, when everything was safe and comfortable, and then Jesus is in the desert and is hungry and is tired, and he's tempted, and he wins. <laughs> Why do you think Jesus' words and actions displeased many? They weren't, or he wasn't following their script for how he should act. Mm-hmm. So he didn't fall into their box of what the Savior would be. Right. Yeah, he didn't look like the Savior they expected. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't stay. He kept moving like, mm-hmm. towards it. With the help of God, he kept moving towards the plan. And I think they wanted him to stay. Mm. So like they wanted him to like stay in Jerusalem and become king or something, and instead he kept moving around and serving people and doing what they didn't expect or want. He brought an environment that they didn't want to let go of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they didn't want to accept that. But just a line where there's a human being. Yeah. Because that teaching's that good. Why would you want it to leave? But the plan hasn't been finished. Mm-hmm. It had been three years since Jesus and his disciples had started their journey. Together they traveled to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. This feast was one of the important pictures from Moses of the promise of God. The people of the city welcomed Jesus with praise. All this excitement came from all the expectations that different groups of people had of what the Messiah would do. Some Uh, some kind of wonderful rescue would happen. They could imagine it, and they praised Jesus for it. Because of the rebellion and what was broken deep inside of every creature made in the image and likeness of God, they had their own idea of how God would accomplish his rescue. During this special Passover celebration, Jesus and his disciples met in the upper room of a house in secret to share the special Passover meal together. There, Jesus again told his disciples of his coming death. This was a shock, and his disciples still could not accept it. In the meal, he used the bread and wine to represent a new covenant, 
a new covenant that would come through the death and suffering, not of animals like in the past, but of the Messiah himself. Even the disciples could not accept that this was the way for God to accomplish his plan. Worse than their confusion, one of the disciples, Judas, would betray Jesus and reveal his secret location to the leaders who, with the wounded serpent, wanted to destroy Jesus. That night, they went to a garden called Gethsemane so that Jesus could pray. Jesus knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew he was going to take the punishment that all God's creatures deserve. Jesus knew that the good, right, and beautiful God had to punish his creatures for the rebellion. And Jesus knew that he would take that punishment. This would begin to restore what the serpent broke in the garden. This would finally change what was wrong deep in the hearts of the creatures made in the image and likeness of God. Jesus would take the punishment so that others could be in the presence of God, accomplishing the mission of God. This inward change needed to happen in order to spread the good, right, and beautiful across the entire world. This punishment from God would be torment beyond anything imaginable. But as he prayed for help, the others fell asleep. At the same time, Judas led the Romans and Jewish leaders who hated Jesus right to their location so that Jesus was arrested and taken away to a secret and illegal trial. That morning, he was brought before the Roman leader, Pilate, to receive his punishment. But Pilate thought him to be innocent. The Jews disagreed. The same crowds who had welcomed Jesus with praise now cried out for his death. Jesus was not the Messiah they wanted, so they yelled and screamed to have Jesus die, cursed on a cross. Afraid the people would riot, Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified. Jesus was beaten, whipped, mocked, his clothes taken and divided amongst the Roman soldiers, forced to carry his own instrument of death up the hill where he would die. When the disciples learned what happened, they hid, afraid they would be next. The one they believed to be the king God spoke of, the one who would fix all of creation and bring God's presence back, was now hanging on a cross, breathing his last breath. Jesus, knowing he was accomplishing the mission of God and seeking to save those who rebelled, said, it is finished. At that moment, darkness filled the sky. The earth shook, and nearby in the temple, the curtain that kept men and women from the holy presence of God was finally torn. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, was dead. Later, they brought his body down from the cross, and a few who stayed by his side prepared him for burial, placed him in a tomb, and a great stone was rolled over the entrance. For the disciples, it seemed in that moment that all hope had been lost. They still could not understand how God fulfilled his promise and accomplished his mission. Put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. What would you have been feeling in this moment? How would you have thought about the last three years? Right? He's gone. What was that about? Was it for anything? To accomplish anything? Yeah. self-preserving in this moment. Mm -hmm. because you had this building momentum and then it's just all gone and then grieving the loss of someone who sh should still be there, who would always be there. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, ang anger at Judas, maybe even angry at Jesus for letting this happen. <laughs> 
yeah, scared that they would also be killed. It's like everything that they had built their lives on and their hopes on was gone. And just, yeah. super aimless without Jesus there. Let's, uh, let's see what happens next. Three days later, it was Sunday morning, and some of the women who followed Jesus came down to Jesus' tomb. To their shock, the stone had been rolled away and the tomb emptied. Suddenly, two angels appeared to them as they had that night to Mary. They told them not to be surprised and that Jesus was alive. Filled with excitement, they ran back to where the other disciples were staying to share the good news. The disciples couldn't believe what they were hearing. Later, Jesus himself appeared to them and showed them the holes where the nails had held him on the cross. He was truly alive. And he spent many days after his resurrection explaining these things to his disciples and how all God's story had been pointing to this moment all along. So finally, with the risen and alive Son of God, even death had no sting. It was clear all of the power and influence of the serpent could not stand against the power of the appointed Messiah that had come to change those who rebelled and continue to accomplish God's mission to spread the good, right, and beautiful throughout all creation. Jesus has power over all. There is nothing outside the control of the king who crushed the head of the serpent and passed through the flaming sword of God's judgment. Jesus is the only good, the only right, and only beautiful person who is worthy to continue the mission of God. What does the resurrection of Jesus teach us about him? Mm-hmm. He likes to hide things. Mm. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to tell you the whole plan. Right. It kind of comes as a surprise. Or he'll tell you maybe, mm-hmm. but he knows you're not going to see it all until a certain point. Mm-hmm. Right. Even though Jesus had told his disciples multiple times this would happen, <laughs> they, they didn't get it, and it came as a surprise. They didn't believe it when it was told to them. <laughs> sinful, they were following someone, were they also projecting different ideas of who the Messiah would be instead of actually hearing him out and hearing what he was saying was going to happen? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we will, and we'll find out more about that in just a moment. <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> Jesus said he was going to do, he did. What God in the beginning said he was going to do, he did, and shows God to be truthful and faithful. Mm-hmm. Also, again, shows how just God is that by Jesus taking on the symbol, he, he followed through with you know, his promise of there is a law and I have to cut you off. Mm-hmm. So he cut Jesus off. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. But obviously, rises again, so you see that, but there was 
Right, exactly. So we, we see both pieces of that. We see the fulfillment of the curse and the punishment for sin, and we also see the, the rescue. And so we see God's justice, and we see his, his mercy and grace and goodness. Yeah. I think Jesus says consistency. Mm -hmm. So God's intentionality in, well, Eve was the first to be deceived. The women in the garden were the first to receive the good news and proclaim it. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Let's, uh, we're going we're gonna to actually move on now. That was act four, the longest act. There's a lot there, right? We have watched Jesus, the Messiah, who, who in his presence is the kingdom of God. And we see healing and we see reversal. And then we see this, we see kind of two huge showdowns, right? We see the, the temptation in the desert. And then we see Jesus's crucifixion. And when Jesus is killed, he then rises from the dead, showing himself to be God, showing himself to be true to his word. And... And then he speaks to his disciples, and we're going to find out more about what he told his disciples and, and gave to them to do. So this is Act 5, Kingdom. It had been 40 days since Jesus had risen from the grave. In that time, he had made many appearances to people all over, teaching and showing them that he really was alive. Jesus called a crowd to gather around him one last time before he went to sit on the heavenly throne with his father. He gave them a great commission to continue the mission of spreading God's image across the globe. Jesus is now spreading his kingdom. He told them to tell everyone about who he is and what he had done for them and to baptize these new disciples into his family. They would, like him, have the power to spread the good, right, and beautiful across the entire world. He reminded them that no matter what, he would always be with them on this mission. Jesus then ascended into heaven, taking a seat on his throne and sharing his good gifts with those who were baptized into his family. Sometime later, many of Jesus' followers, including the original disciples, were gathered in Jerusalem. Suddenly, while they prayed, a great sound and gust of wind filled the room they were in. God's spirit filled them like he filled Jesus and they began speaking languages they had never spoken before. They ran out into the street to share what had taken place. And some people were amazed to hear them speaking in their language, while some mocked them, saying they were drunk. Jesus' disciple named Peter began to preach to the crowd that was gathered. He explained to them that this was all a part of God's story unfolding before them. He explained how Jesus was the one God had promised them so long ago, and if they would repent of their sin and rebellion, be baptized into his family, they would find forgiveness. They too could be a part of the kingdom. Not only that, but this wasn't just for Israel. It was for everyone. Peter was telling the true story. That day, 3,000 people believed the good news of the true story taught by Peter. God's presence began to grow more and more as many people joined his family. These disciples of Jesus were all in for God's mission. They were devoted to being formed by Jesus' teaching and God's story. They prayed and shared meals, worshiped and honored Jesus' life and death together. They were generous with everything they had and made sure no one around them was in need. They were in a family called the church, a people all over the world enjoying life with God, spreading his image everywhere they went. So the kingdom that Jesus started was growing. Not everyone was so enthusiastic about the church. Many people of Israel still did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that God had promised them. One man in particular named Paul strongly opposed the church. Paul was aligned with the dying serpent and made it his job to harm the church and keep the disciples from spreading the kingdom. But God was on mission to change the rebellious hearts of those who listened to the serpent. One day, as Paul was traveling, Jesus confronted him and completely tra transformed him. Paul was now a part of God's kingdom. 
This is the power Jesus has now that he is on the throne. Paul would go on to do many wonderful things for the kingdom of God. He and others went all over teaching about Jesus, living out his mission, and starting new church families wherever they went. Paul wrote many letters to these churches when they faced difficult times or needed correcting and reminders of God's power. And all the time, the Spirit continued to work through the people as they tried to faithfully live out God's mission, proclaiming that his kingdom had finally come in Jesus. In this kingdom, God's presence with humanity is restored, and the good, right, and beautiful could be spread across the entire globe. What does this story tell us about the spirit and power of King Jesus? Mm -hmm. It exceeds our expectations. Mm -hmm. For, for Jews and non-Jews, for Israel and other nations, and that was not what they were expecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it empowers us. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the same, it empowers them because we see the same people who were hiding <laughs> when Jesus was crucified are now like out in the streets boldly explaining what has happened and then others are coming to know Jesus because of that. Yeah. What does this story tell us about the church? in spite of suffering and opposition because of the spirit in God's church, the church continues to grow and spread across the globe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, includes people from anywhere. Even that first picture, they're speaking all these different languages. There's people from all over the world who are hearing about Jesus in their own language. <laughs> yeah. Say, say it again. Giving. Mm-hmm. Right, the, the early church is sharing everything and caring for one another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. The new, the new, this new thing, the church is a family that is drawing people from all over the place into something totally unheard of. No longer are you defined just by your, you know, your tribe or wherever you came from, but now you're, you're defined by being God's people and a family. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna continue. Ever since Jesus rose from the dead, Ever since he took his seat at God's right hand, this kingdom that Jesus began with his original followers has grown from 12 timid and cowering disciples to a global family, all working to spread the kingdom that Jesus began, all united together in the same spirit. God's presence now dwells with his church as they spread the good, right, and beautiful of his kingdom. At the same time, even though the serpent has been crushed and is dying, he's still fighting with every last breath. While God's people do enjoy God's actual presence, they are still in the presence of sin in this world. 
the lingering effects of the serpent are still very real. And the serpent is using that to fight back in every way he can. We see the good, right, and beautiful of God's kingdom, but we still see the destruction of the rebellion around us. God's kingdom is already here, but not yet complete. Jesus is still at work as king, bringing the full reality of his kingdom. Yet while the effects of the serpent are still seen, experienced, and suffered in every facet of life, Jesus is still with his people in his already come kingdom. God has fulfilled his promise in Jesus through this kingdom, yet there is yet a final promise to come. A promise where the serpent and all his work are finally no more. A promise where there is only good, only right, and only beautiful. A promise of God's presence being everywhere in everyone for all of eternity. This promise is the promise of a new creation. Even today, we get a glimpse of this new creation promise. The resurrection body of Jesus is the beginning of what will someday be reality for all who are in God's family. Now the people of God who are a part of his body are born again. Like Jesus said, they are a new creation. This is why we have the power today to spread the good, right, and beautiful throughout the entire world. This is what the Spirit does. Like in the beginning of the story, he is the creator. Even though the Spirit was and is with the church, there is still brokenness that needs healing. There is still evil that needs to be punished. There is still a tension between the kingdom being brought by the church and the reality of what is broken in the world. This is where we sit in the story, even as we wait for the rest of the new creation. Do you feel the tension of the story being incomplete? Yeah. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's hear what the story's completion looks like. So here we are, moving on to act six. New creation. Many years after Jesus ascended and the church had begun, John, the youngest of Jesus' original disciples, was now an old man, and he was given a vision. Jesus appeared to him in this vision, like he had in prophets of the past. He reminded John that his story was still being written. God's mission was still unfolding. Jesus told him that God will again create. God will again intervene. God will bring a new creation, completing his mission and making right everything that was ever made wrong. He reminds John that through his resurrection, we have been given a glimpse of what will come in the new creation. His resurrection is the first element of this creation to pass through the flaming sword of judgment and end up on the other side, perfect, good, right, beautiful. Like the body of Jesus, someday in the future, creation itself will pass through the flaming sword of judgment. The serpent and all those who follow him will be punished for their rebellion and rejection of God. The offspring of Eve, the Messiah, and all those who trusted in him and the promise of God concerning him will be brought out on the other side, resurrected, eternal, perfect, and again, pure and undefiled. All things, both in heaven and on earth, will be restored. There will be no more sickness, pain, or suffering. Every tear will be wiped away. There will only be what is good, right, and beautiful. And do you want to know the best part? God will dwell with his people. The people of God will dwell with God in perfect unity. The creation of God will again be very good, except this time, now that the serpent's head is crushed, what God creates new will never again be threatened. The new creation in all its majesty and splendor will be a forever and ever reality. Jesus the King and beginning of this new creation has ensured that God's original mission would continue for all eternity. What God revealed to John, John shared with the church. And the church has continued to eagerly await Jesus' return ever since. What in this part of the story reminds you of the beginning of the story? Mm-hmm. 
this new creation looks a whole lot like the new creation when it was new, <laughs> right? Like it's, it's very similar in, in being perfect and having nothing evil in it. Yeah, just like Adam and Eve dwelt and walked with God in the garden, we will dwell and walk with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think both are like super hard to imagine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard to wrap our, our head around either of these really, what seemed perfect in the garden and what seems perfect in the end just feels so distant from the reality we know. Mm-hmm. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. No, it's a Holy Spirit that allows us to have faith, right? To tr- trust in Jesus' finished work and to trust in His return. Yeah, even though we can't, still can't see it. It's, it's. That's the whole point of faith, right? <laughs> Jesus is enough here and now. He is, he is with us, even though we get to look forward to this greater promise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It strikes me how Jesus coming to earth just mirrors the whole process for us in that, you know, right now we're in that tension between, you know, we're redeemed, but yet we're also in a sinful world. We're still having to deal with the struggle. Mm-hmm. But the victory is won, and, and the same thing, Jesus, God, but living with the tension of being God, mm-hmm. but also being man, being mm-hmm. tempted, but, you know, having the, the power of God within him. Yeah. And then the, the new Jerusalem, the redemption, risen Jesus. He's mm-hmm. overcome death. He's perfected. He's glorious. You know, yeah. So we watch, we watch Jesus be a human and trust the Spirit to trust the Father and live in this tension. And then we see him ascend to the right hand of the Father, like being on the throne where all is right and he is fully in control of everything, right? And in a similar way, we currently live in that tension where the Spirit of God is in us and we can look forward to one day going to be with the Father in the perfect paradise that he has, has told us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's the end of the story. Uh, now that we've heard the story, this will be quick. How should we respond? Where do we go from here? You know, what, do you have thoughts on like what, now that we've heard these six acts, what do you do with that? The stories are meant to be told. <laughs> the stories are meant to be told. <laughs> yeah. I take Jesus' mission seriously. Mm-hmm. If, he is like, if he does have that much authority and power, then we can give him such a great gift. Like we should maybe listen better than his disciples did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So take, take Jesus seriously in what he commanded us to do, what he told us we are empowered to do, and actually take the good, right, and beautiful with us, around us, to our work, to our families. And so because we live in Act 5 and we know the reality of Act 6, that can really inform how we live, right? How we process things that happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have confidence in his plan. Just like a lot of things that we do, we do out of fear. Mm -hmm. We try not to listen to, you know, the parable where he's talking about 
Right. We know, we know the ending, so we don't need to be afraid because we know who's in control <laughs> and will be victorious. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I love. I love that. So for anyone online, it's like the teacher's giving you the notes to the test. Like, you cannot fail the test. <laughs> Jesus has already passed for you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Ah, oh, that's good. Yeah. So. You know, I want to remind you, this, this is our story, right? We live in this, this story. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recap the story real fast, uh, and then we'll, we'll move towards closing. So um, we got these six symbols. So again, right, act one, creations, down arrow. God created the world, created everything to reflect his glory, uh, and he created humans to partner with him. And humans, in the second act, this X, the rebellion, we reject God. We, we decided that we think we know what we want and we can get it better on our own. And because of that, humanity is removed from the presence of God. And yet, in act three, the forward arrow, God doesn't leave us hopeless. Yes, we are cast out from his presence, but he promises that one day he will crush the serpent and he will restore humanity. And we see that over time, God continues to reveal more and more of that promise. You don't get the full picture for, with Adam and Eve, but over time, you get more and more glimpses and dimensions of what that'll look like. And yet, all of the humans who seem like the ones who are supposed to fulfill it fail. And that's where we left off last week, this kind of sad silence. And then, in Act 4, which is the cross, uh, we have redemption, where Jesus, where God himself comes down as a human. He lives a perfect life. Everywhere he goes, the kingdom of God is, and there is healing, there is teaching, there is change. Uh, and, but, but we, again, reject him, and we murder him. <laughs> and, and that murder wasn't for, for nothing, though, because God's justice was then placed on Jesus. Uh, God's judgment was against Jesus instead of us, and Jesus rose victorious, showing himself to be God, showing himself to be the very first of the new creation. And then in Act 5, the forward arrow, he sends his church, he gives his church his spirit and sends us out to do what he did, to bring the kingdom with us, to bring the good, right, and beautiful everywhere we go. And we eagerly await Act 6, the down arrow, where God returns to be with us where God is with his people and all things are made right and there's no longer even the option for the world to be broken again. And so we live as the church. We live in act five as those who trust in Jesus and what he has accomplished, as those who are in, in, empowered by his spirit to bring the good, right, and beautiful into the world around us, and as those who are awaiting the new creation and the day when we will be with God for, forever. Um, so let me, let me pray and, and close us out. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your story. We thank you that you have told us the end of the story. You've given us the notes to the test. We, we know of your victory and we know of your return. And so I pray, God, as we think about this, this story, as we think about these acts, uh, would you shape us would you show us how to, to live? God, because of who you are, because of what you've done, would you show us our identity and would you empower us to, to live out that identity? I just pray uh, that you would be with us today. Amen.